0: Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. We're back for episode 42, last episode before going back to school, and also as a new feature this time around, as one of our books details the genre of music referred to as ska, uh, after the reading soon books, we're going to feature a ska song. So that will be I Don't Love You Anymore by Bob the Music Industry, but we'll get into that in more depth later. Also looking to back to school, it may have an impact on my reading level. I'll be able to tell by the next episode, but it might mean a reduction of books reviewed per episode, or the pool I'll have to draw from. And if you hadn't already considered it, Book Club of One is open to recommendations, but there is no guarantee of timely reading of them or reviews for those. So you can recommend them, or if you're a publisher or author, you can also offer your book. But if I read everything recommended, even if it sounds amazing, I probably would have already read Stormlight Archive by Sanderson, but someday I hope to. Our first featured book this episode is Ivory Vikings, The Mystery of the Most Famous Chessmen in the World and the Woman Who Made Them. It was written by Nancy Marie Brown, a white American author and editor. She holds a BA in English and an MA in Comparative Literature, both from Penn State, where she has also served as a science writer and editor for one of their publications for 20 years. Which one that was, I didn't track down, but her personal website did not bother to name it. Since 2003, she has been writing books full-time, most of them focused on Vikings. So Ivory Vikings was cited in Neil McGregor's History of the World and 100 Objects, discussed in episode 36. So this is a book brought to us by reading the footnotes. And Ivory Vikings focuses how on the early 1800s, a Hebridean beach in Scotland, the sea exposed an ancient treasure cache, 93 chessmen carved from walrus ivory. Norris Nitsuke, each face individual, each full of quirks, the Lewis chessmen are probably the most famous chess pieces in the world. Harry Potter played wizard's chess with them. Questions abounded, however. Who carved them? Where Nancy Marine Brown's *Ivory Vikings* explores these mysteries by connecting medieval Icelandic sagas with modern archaeology, art history, forensics, and the history of board games—a history of the 400 years when the Vikings ruled the North Atlantic and the sea road connecting countries and islands we think of as far apart and culturally distinct: Norway and Scotland, Ireland and Iceland, and Greenland and North America. And reading through this book, it is very much uh, Brown presenting evidence to make an argument as one does with historical research. However, she condenses that 400 years of history into about 240 pages, so not a whole lot of room for depth. And as the chapters tend to be arranged more by personalities than a chronological record, it does make it a bit confusing. Because those chapters are arranged by types of chess pieces. And minor spoiler, It is pretty well established that Chessmen were most likely made of walrus tusk, but who carved them is still unclear. Brown presents evidence to argue that Margaret the Adwatt of Iceland was the one who carved them, but could have been someone else. And those reading this book hoping to learn more about Margaret will be disappointed, as many of the reviewers on Goodreads point out. She's mentioned directly a whole maybe ten pages out of the full length. And looking at this book itself, I found the last 80 pages the most interesting and engaging as it directly explored the Lewis Chessmen and the various stories of their discovery and the findings on them since then. The rest of the book was devoted to that 400 years of Viking rule and trade and culture. One of the highlights of the book was its discussion of the role of sagas and traditional storytelling as actual historical sources, something uh, Brown argues, has not really been explored more widely, in part because many of them have been, not been translated to English, so their audience is much more limited. Overall, an interesting book, but it would have made for a much more fascinating short-run article that was unfortunately padded into a book length. Our second book of the episode is last, our other reading soon book from last episode, No Room at the Morgue by Jean-Patrick Manchette was a white French crime novelist. He wrote 10 short novels in the 1970s and 80s. His stories were violent, existential explorations of the human condition in French society. He was politically to the left, and his writings reflect this through his analysis of social positions and culture. The version I read of it also had contributions from Alison Waters, uh, a translator of French whose work has earned several grants in the National Endowment for the Arts Translation Fellowship She teaches in the French department at Yale University and uh, it also had an afterword by Howard Rodman, a screenwriter, novelist, and professor at the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. I purchased this book from directly from the publisher, New York Book Review Books. No Room at the Morgue focuses on Eugene Tarpon, a private eye. A sometime cop who has set up shop after being kicked off the force for accidentally killing a political demonstrator. Months have passed, and Tarpon desultorily tries to keep in shape while drinking all of the time. No one has shown up at the door of his office in the midst of the market district of Lehad. Then the bell rings, and a beautiful woman bursts in, her hands dripping blood, metaphorically or actually, I don't quite call now. It's Memphis Charles. Her roommate's throat has been cut, and Memphis can't go to the police because they'll only suspect her. Can the private eye help? So this is a short noir-style mystery that maintains a very steady pace and stays consistent with many of the tropes. So we have a former cop who is now working as a private eye who drinks quite regularly and is about to quit before this beautiful woman enters his office, and he has to help her solve the case after she beats him up. Where it deviates slightly is Tarpon is klutzy, gets beaten up quite a bit, and more so to the tropes, gives free reign to his temper, beating up some people he hopes to gain information from. Uh, in many of the reviews and afterward, it also speaks to this being a tribute to Dashiell Hammett, so very much in the styling of the noir. It's a mystery centered on two actresses involved in drugs, alcohol, blue movies, blackmail, and maybe bombs. Who knows? But it is at least a a diverting, quick thriller read. Our third book takes us back into the academic realm with the book smugglers, partisans, poets, and the race to save Jewish treasures from the Nazis. It's by Dr. David E. Fishman, a white American academic and author. He is a professor of Jewish history at the Jewish Theological Seminary of America. He holds a BA from Yeshiva University and a Masters of Art and PhD from Harvard University. He has authored four scholarly monographs and one textbook. His publications typically focus on the history and culture of East European Jewry. And at this point, I'm not quite sure where I came across this book. Possibly the Jewish Book Council who awarded the book, the National Jewish Book Award in the Holocaust category in 2017, or it could have come about from being cited in something else I had read. The Book Smugglers is the story of a group of Vilna ghetto residents, nicknamed the Paper Brigade, who worked to rescue thousands of rare books and manuscripts from first the Nazis and then the Soviets. So this is a well-written and chronological retelling of the work of that small group of poets, partisans, and academics who became the Paper Brigade, who worked against the interests of the, first the Nazi plunderers, looking to set up a study collection for the denigration of the Jews. Then later, while the territory was occupied by the Soviets, they again worked to preserve the materials and prevent its destruction. So it details the lives and works of many of the important personnel, both uh, within the paper brigade, as well as some of the important American figures and the, the Nazi Leadership focused particularly on lo- the looting of art. The majority of the rescued materials either belonged to or would later be claimed by the Yiddish Scientific Institute, that uh, now is located in New York, and whose one of their directors was able at a conference at the outbreak of war and was able to make it to New York, where he was able could set that up. It's based on Jewish, German, and Soviet archival documents, diaries, letters, memoirs, and interviews that. Uh, Fishman, Dr. Fishman, carried out himself. It also presents another compelling case for the importance of books as an escape from daily life. Here we see the inhabitants of the ghettos looking to the books as escape to take them from their troubling presence. Uh, Something we saw or I've read before about in the 2001 collection of articles published as the Holocaust in the book *Destruction and Preservation*, which uh, features a short uh, chapter or essay, depending on how you look at by Fishman, acts of resistance for the sake of literature, art, and preservation of history. If overall a great book and one that I was entered, uh, Kathy pieces is *The Information Hunters: When Librarian Soldiers and Spies Banded Together in World War II Europe*. of book i was hoping that would be and it turned out not to our fourth book takes us to more serene settings so this is show me a story why picture books matter conversations with 21 of the world's most celebrated illustrators by leonard s marcus a white american author and expert on english language children's literature he also served as a critic for several publications including hornbook and the new york times book review he has authored more than 25 award-winning biographies, histories, and interview collections, at least according to his personal webpage. This volume also had a foreword by David Wisner, who I did not look up his credentials, my apologies. But I came across Show Me a Story in searching for other books by or featuring Mo Willems that could be more fun to read aloud for adults, much like uh, his uh, scrapbook scrapbook and early books that was featured in a few episodes ago and willems also did the cover art for this volume show me a story as you get from the title is transcripts of 21 interviews with children's authors discussing their childhoods inspirations determination their mentors their creative choices and more it includes interviews with maurice sundack robert mccloskey william steeg eric carl helen oxenbury and mo willems and many others. So some sections get more involved in discussing technique and the development of style, and some are unfortunately very brief. But overall, they do provide a fascinating sense of the various authors' characters, influences, and styles, and the, really the development of their personal work. Uh, if any sort of detraction could be said, it's that the interviews were often across a wide swath of time from the, I believe, the 1980s to the early 2000s. With some of those authors, uh, Marcus was able to touch back and give brief codas, and in the structure of those interviews, he was often able to give the authors the last word with a very important or fitting conclusion to their interviews. For each of those interviews, Marcus provides a portrait and a brief summary of each artist's, their background, their work, and there is also an appendix that, when this was published, featured all of their works that date. This was one that I read out loud, interview by interview, to my child, who liked seeing and hearing about the different authors. So something great to read for children interested in those authors, or perhaps those involved in libraries with uh, children's programming, or scholars looking to explore those sorts of things. Our final book this episode is In Defense of Ska, It's written by Aaron Carnes, a white American freelance writer, music journalist, and music editor for Good Times, Santa Cruz's Free Alternative Weekly. His writing has appeared in Playboy, about the accidental success of Portugal, The Man, Salon, Noisy, Sun Magazine, and Bandcamp Daily. This book also featured an introduction from Jess Rosenstock, which longtime listeners may recognize that name, Uh, but he is a white American musician and producer known for his work with bomb the music industry and his solo career and who we will be hearing after the reading soon books so in defense of ska uh, came to my attention by being discussed or featured in a four-year consideration article about ska by the av club in may 2021 that is uh in the show notes if you're curious In Defense of Ska is a book-length exploration of the question, why doesn't Ska get its due like punk, metal, or hip-hop? Or, why are Ska fans so embarrassed by Ska? And Carnes approaches that through a mix of interviews, essays, personal stories, anecdotes, and think pieces about Ska, uh, including a, a history of the genre from its development in Jamaica in the 50s and 60s to its revival and expansion in the 1970s in the Nag Kingdom before its eventual arrival in America, where it was embraced or melded with punk. It was strongly do-it-yourself in focus, and much of the emphasis on it was on the live show and having a good time or being entertaining for an audience. Some stray notes from reading through it that caught my attention or things I reflect on even now, even a day or so after having finished the book, is Karn's introduction to the genre. He was in, in school feeling sad and approached someone dressed in dark clothing who he thought would be into depressive or gothic music. And it turned out that person who became his best friend was actually just cosplaying as Luke Skywalker and introduced him to Ska. I had heard of many of the bands featured in the book, such as Less Than Jake, No Doubt, and uh, those of you alive and listening to any sort of music in the 90s also likely recognize those, or Goldfinger, or Real Big Fish, or many others. But there were also a swath of bands I'd never heard of, or uh, bands I had heard of whose members were in ska bands ahead of those more well-known bands. But it does certainly show the growth of the genre through hard grassroots work. So we have the beginning in America in the 80s before it eventually bursts more widely to the popular consciousness in the 90s. Also getting to learn more about the early career of Mike Park, who now runs Asian Man Records, who I've heard interview several times and have purchased several things from them over the years. And it also linked up to uh, the book, How to Ruin a Record Label, which was featured a few episodes ago, with its focus on Lookout Records and Operation Ivy, which was a very important band for many punk, punk bands of this time period. If anything, while a great and entertaining book, the minor complaint I had with it is some copy editing issues with a truly terribly formatted work cited. But again, overall, very entertaining and informative. And Carnes, I'm not sure if it was to coincide or uh, came together after the publication of the book, has started a podcast called In Defense of Ska, and he has interviewed Jeff Rosenstock and Laura Jane Grace of Against Me, both who you've probably heard of from this show before. But it's a show I will... start listening to, and if I enjoy it, I can certainly pass on the link if you don't want to look for it on your own. Those are all the featured books. For reading soon books, uh, first that I hope to get to probably in the next day or two is 400 Souls, A Community History of African America, 1619 to 2019, edited by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha N. Blaine. It begins with the arrival of 20 enslaved Ndongo people on the shores of the British colony in mainland America in 1619, the year before the arrival of the mainflower. In 80 chronological chapters, the book charts the tragic and triumphant 400-year history of Black American experience in a choral work of exceptional power and beauty. Contributors include some of the best-known scholars, writers, historians, journalists, lawyers, poets, and activists of contemporary America, who together bring to vivid life countless new facets to the drama of slavery and resistance, segregation and survival, migration and self-discovery, cultural oppression, and world-changing artistic, literary, and musical creativity. And our other Reading Sooner in Progress book is one I have started, is Secret History of Food, Strange But True Stories About the Origins of Everything We Eat by Matt Siegel. And the blurb from the publisher on that one is, an irreverent, surprising, and entirely entertaining look at the little-known history surrounding the foods we know and love, answering questions such as, is Italian olive oil really Italian, or are we dipping our bread in lamp oil? Why are we masochistically drawn to foods that can hurt us like hot peppers? Far from being a classic American dish, is apple pie actually English? An exploration of the historical, cultural, scientific, sexual, and yes, culinary subcultures of the realm of food.
1: I can't remember all the stupid shit I said I didn't give a shit about myself I didn't give a shit about my friends
0: This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.